0: Welcome to The Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that He is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose.
1: Today I want to talk about the ministry of the prophet. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 28, the Lord makes it very clear that it is God himself, who has set in the church, first apostles, and then second prophets. So it's talking about the fact that, number one, we want to recognize that it's God that has done this, and we want to uh, make sure that we notice this word set. So we want to notice that this whole matter of the apostles and prophets being set into the church was not any man's idea. It certainly wasn't the idea of people here in the last day who just want to have some kind of a new theme or wanting to have something new that they can try to ascribe to the church so that they can build a ministry around it. And those who operate in the apostolic and the prophetic need to understand that this is God's idea and this is God's plan and not man's. So this is not the idea of some man or some apostle or or some prophet trying to promote his or her own ministry, but rather this matter of the apostles and the prophets and especially what we are talking about in this last hour, the restoration of the apostles and prophets' ministries. This whole idea originated with God himself. So contrary to the philosophy of some purported believers that we have comprising many different types of churches today, in order to receive this whole concept about the restoration of the prophetic, we need to, first of all, understand that the church is not a democracy and that the church belongs to the Lord and that the church, the true church, that is made up of all true, born-again, spirit-filled believers, That church is not a democracy in which people vote on how things are going to operate. People vote on the government and establish the government and vote on how things are going to operate within that entity. But rather, the church is a theocracy, not a democracy. That simply means that it's ruled and governed by God himself. It's always interesting to me to go into church board meetings and here that it will be operated according to Robert's rules of order for parliamentary procedure rather than according to God's order and his rules and his order. God has chosen, this is his choice, God has chosen to set in the church first apostles, second prophets, and then third teachers. And I believe that the Lord is establishing in that context there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, he is establishing this, this precept or this premise concerning how the church is to be governed, especially in that verse, that the first ministry of priority is that of the apostolic. Apostles are always first. While this is a Uh, a a teaching on the prophetic. One can really not talk about the prophetic without talking about the apostolic because they always go together. He said in another place in Ephesians chapter 2, the Lord talked about the fact that the entire church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So often in Paul's letters, when he mentioned apostles, he also talked about prophets. It's like they came together almost. And I think one of the reasons for that is that it's like I always try to point out to people that one of the best definitions I know in the Bible, there's two that are actually biblical of the the function and the place of of prophets. And what a prophet is, one of the best is one that Jesus gave, another one is the one that The Apostle Paul gave. The one that Jesus gave, I believe, concerning an Apostle, and what an Apostle is, is when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, he said to his disciples that John was a prophet, but one that was more than a prophet. And at that time, that had to be revelatory teaching In a revelatory statement to the apostles because you have to understand that the entire nation of israel they didn't understand in fact this word apostle jesus was the first one that apparently used this term in the new testament context of course that was intertestament when jesus came but he used that term of apostle and as you know and i've spoken about many other times they jesus came down from a hill a mountain where he had been seeking god and he called out 12 people out of his disciples. And the Bible says he named them apostles. So they immediately went from being a disciple to being a, an apostle immediately when Jesus named them that. No seminary, no block of instruction, no seminars, you know, no read these 40 books or Anything of the nature, he just named them that. So often the Lord speaks of those things that be not as though they were, and then he names us something, he tells us what we are, and then we begin to walk in that. You see, when we lay claim to it, there's some today that say, well, we shouldn't use these titles. You know, people are uncomfortable with using these titles, they're uncomfortable with using terms that are in the Bible and ascribing those terms to people that live today. I understand that, but on the other hand, and how people would be unaccustomed to that, and certainly our churches and denominations (coughs) don't teach that today, and they teach what we call a cessation theory in which the apostolic and the prophetic cease to exist, some say with the death of the early apostles. And of course, that whole premise has a lot of problems with it, because for one thing, there's more than 12 apostles in the Bible. Which, which ones are you talking about? The death of which ones? In fact, there's 24 people listed in the Bible as, a, as apostles. So that theory's shot all to pieces right there. So um, we have to understand that God is using the apostolic and the prophetic today to build his church.
0: You're listening to The Real Truth Podcast. Other episodes of the podcast can be found at realtruthradio.com.
1: Ephesians chapter 4, also, just as 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 28 says, 1st Apostles, 2nd Prophets, 3rd Teachers, kind of correlating to that is Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 when it talks about when Jesus ascended on high and that, I believe that that literally means that when on the day of ascension, what we call the day of ascension, when the last time Jesus was here on the earth and he gathered together his disciples and, and in their presence, they saw him being taken up into heaven. And the angels said, Why stand ye gazing this same Jesus who was with you, has been taken up, he shall return in like manner, in fact, he says he'll return to that exact place where Jesus, well, I believe Jesus will return. I believe that was on the Mount of Olives, and he will return and stand with his feet at that exact place that he went up when it's time for his kingdom rule. And so he's going to return that way and in that same place. And it says that when he ascended on high, I believe it's literal. I believe on that day of ascension, on the Mount of Ascension, as he ascended on high, that he was doing a thing where he was not going to need those giftings in heaven. And so he distributed those giftings here down on the earth. The eyes of men could not see that that day, the people that were vis- uh, that were there. Maybe that was not visible to their eyes. And apparently it wasn't. But it took the Apostle Paul later, who he said himself was an apostle born late, for him to get a revelation by the Spirit in which he began to say, and we've pointed out many times before how the Apostle Paul said that apostles and prophets, that God had given certain revelation to these apostles and prophets, and it was their job then, therefore, to reveal this revelation to the church. I believe this was one of the things the Apostle Paul revealed. It is interesting that all of the other apostles were there that day, physically. Paul wasn't, and they did not not any of them did they write what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letters. Not any of them revealed what Apostle Paul revealed, that when Jesus was ascending on high, he gave gifts unto men. He distributed those gifts. So we can see that true to what the Apostle Paul was saying, he said they were that apostles should be looked upon as stewards of the mysteries of God. And certainly this was one of the mysteries of God. Things that are not necessarily seen with the human eye. And while Jesus was ascending on high, he distributed these gifts. And he gave the gifts because, as we've discussed before, someone cannot give something they don't possess. Jesus was able to give these gifts because he first operated in all of them. And when we do a proper study of the Gospels, we find we can find many instances where Jesus walked in each and every one of these gifts, many manifestations of him walking in all of those gifts. So he truly was able to give these gifts because he possessed those gifts. And so really what Jesus was doing was distributing his anointing, his ministry under the church. I've pointed out many times and like to point out that there's only one true valid ministry, legitimate ministry on this earth. And that is the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus' ministry, the continuation of his ministry, is the role of the present-day church. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, it ends by saying that we, the body of Christ, the church, we are the fullness of Christ. We are the fullness of him in bodily form. And so it is true to say that we, now we're not divine, and we're not the Christ, but we are the representatives of Christ here. In fact, you and I and the body of Christ are the only Christ that people are going to see now by and large, because Jesus manifests himself through us. Now, that's a powerful thing. It's an exciting thing. But isn't that also an awesome responsibility when you begin to think about it and how that Jesus is operating through us today, his church. I have a message and I will be speaking on that one day here uh, concerning what the church really is. Oh, how we've sold the church short. We, we don't really realize what the church is often. And, and the things that the church is, we don't know that it is. And the, often the things that the church is not and is not intended to be, those are the things that many churches see themselves as. And they're functioning in and performing different things, that that's not even the role of the church. So it's very important for us to understand that Related to this, I believe that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the five-fold ministry, each have some part of the revelation that God wants to reveal to his church. And people will not understand what the Lord is wanting from his church unless they receive of all five of those ministry offices. And his church will not be built unless we receive of all of those five-fold ministry offices. As we I just pointed out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, he's saying that apostles and prophets and teachers are permanently set into the church because this word set means it re- refers to permanence. The word itself speaks to permanence. And so this is a permanent thing. God never intended for there be a cessation of the apostolic and the prophetic and the teaching office. No more than he intended for there to be a cessation of the office of the pastor or the office of the evangelist. And so these offices are still in function today. God has chosen to build his church by using apostles and prophets. I believe as Paul said as the master builders 1 Corinthians 3:10 because Paul said I as a wise master builder have laid the foundation and others are building upon it so he said he was a wise master builder and in every epistle that Paul wrote in other words Pauline epistles in every epistle that he wrote every letter that he wrote to the church At the beginning of that letter he identified himself as paul the apostle every one of them except one and then he did refer to himself as an apostle in that letter too but paul was saying that he definitely was an apostle and he was not bashful about using that term he understood how important it was for the church to know that as he wrote these letters that he was not just some Joe Blow just speaking and saying things, but that he was an apostle sent by God, anointed by God, appointed by God to reveal things to the church and that he had something to say that was from God. And so that's why he used that term and reinforced that term. Unfortunately, just as in Paul's day, today, sometimes we have to reinforce that. Now, we don't go around Hanging titles on ourselves, you know. You're not an apostle because you went down in Kinkos and printed 500 cards that says you're you're apostle such and so. Uh, you might get the cards, and it might be a, a convenient matter to handle, hand out the cards that has all your contact information on it. I have no problem with that. We hand out cards for everything else. There's no there's no problem with that. But as you you know and understand. The, the car doesn't make you an apostle. But it, it, Paul, the, the scripture lays out clearly what happens, the signs of a true apostle.
0: Enjoying this podcast? Please take a minute to pray if the Lord would have you help us with the substantial financial burden of this program. We receive no grants or funding from any organization or government agency and have no other means of support than the gracious and generous giving of our listener. SLM, Inc. bears the entire burden. In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM, Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash SLM, I N C, to give any amount. Thank you for your gifts, generosity, and graciousness
1: so we need to understand some of these basic things that we're talking about here and notice that in this phrase here in first corinthians chapter 12 verse 28 it goes on to say god has set in the church apostles and prophets have been permanently established those offices it's the office that's more important than the personalities or the persons who are uh, operating in those offices. Because if it's an office, if if it's a function, if it's a ministry from God, then this person is an agent of God. This person is being used by God to perform that function within the church. And so those offices are more important than the person themselves. But having said that, that doesn't mean that the person is nothing because God, I believe chooses people He gives them an, a, a personality you know that goes right along with their office and unfortunately there, there are many people today trying to function in an office they never have been called to and they never have been equipped for so it's very important to know what personality God has made you with i I use that term because Although everyone would not agree with me, I know and I've had discussions with very uh, valid and, and respectable theologians who would disagree with what I say. So I, as a good uh, teacher, I have to tell you that, that not everyone agrees. Very good people, very learned people, sincere people, sincere Christians. Not everyone belie- uh, believes and agrees with some of the things I'm telling you. One of, one particular thing is that in Romans, it talks about the motivation, what we call the motivation gifts or the energizing gifts. And I happen to believe, now the problem is, is those who are also versed in and subscribe to modern psychology, that subscribe to modern psychology, uh, there is a, a concept, there is a teaching that's called integrated theology in which those who subscribe to that believe that there is an integration, a merging together, a converging at some point of theology and psychology. Now, those who subscribe to that find it difficult to agree with what I'm telling you about this, about the energizing gifts, because they teach other things, uh, things that are rather antithetical to what I'm telling you. It's not Romans chapter six, Romans chapter twelve, I believe. And and they're actually enumerated in verses six through eight. And then you have to take in verse four as well because it talks about them being a function. Romans chapter twelve. These are what we call the motivation gifts. And those that subscribe to psychology believe something different regarding personalities and what personalities are and where they come from. But I believe that in the spiritual sense that these are talking about, that are listed here, spiritual functions or motivations that motivate or energize the word here that says function in verse 4 in the uh, original language talks about it can be, in King James interprets it as a, an office, but that word also refers to energizing. It's literally energizing. So these are traits that Energize the person, and we'll talk about these motivation gifts in another lesson, but we can look at them quickly here. Verse six, you can see, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, so there's prophecy. So there's seven motivation gifts, and there's service in serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, so there's teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation, so there is exhortation. He who gives with liberality, so there is a a motivation gift of giving. He who leads with diligence or rules, that word there is ruling uh, or governing. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness, so there are showers of mercy. There are seven in all. I believe that those are energizings that motivate us I believe they're a form, a kind of personality. Uh, As we have pointed out before, in all of those that are listed there, there is only one that is listed in all of the three sets of of gifts. The motivation gifts, the manifestation gifts, and the ministry gifts. There's only one that transcends or is listed in all of those three. And so there's a motivational gift of prophecy, There is a ministry gift, as we know, the office of the prophet. And there's also prophecy as the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. So I believe that these are personalities that God gives someone. So when God calls a person to something, to one of these offices, he's going to equip them to be able to do it. The actual functioning And the actual spiritual functioning, the actual unction for function is going to be so second nature to that person that it's almost like breathing to him or her. It's just something they do. And they don't really have to think about it a whole lot. It just kind of happens in them. Others might say, well, how in the world do they do that? You know, but for this person, it's kind of like breathing. And they don't have to struggle with that. They don't have to labor that with that. They don't have to work at that. I've sat and marveled at many five-fold ministers and their different functions and where that is true. And you've probably seen that as well. So when God calls you to something, he equips you for it. And I think oftentimes that he gives you a personality that goes right along with that office. We'll talk more about that and the personality of a prophet in future lessons. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, uh, as well as this one that we just spoke about here, indicates that prophets have not been dispensationally depleted. In other words, like I said, there's this theory called the cessation theory that, in, that is based on the premise or the theory that these two offices, apostles and prophets, only, apparently, according to these theories, or this theory, ceased to exist, ceased to function, and because that was only relegated to a certain dispensation, and that they were only for that time. But we know that, according to the Bible, that prophets and apostles have not been dispensationally depleted, nor have they been cemented into a non-functional foundation. They are still a part of the foundation of the church. Some will allege that the foundation was something that was laid in a certain dispensation of the church, but that it essentially is not functioning now. Well, I find that to be a rather fantastical concept in my way of thinking, because if a house had at one time a foundation and it no longer has it, that house is going to be in trouble, you know. I mean, that house is going to be be sinking, you know. And uh, that's not the way that that Jesus made the church, that it it is still based upon the uh, foundation of the apostles and, and the prophets. So we believe that the prophets and the apostles are still a very vital part of all that God has ever done and all that he shall do in his eternal plan for mankind. This is made clear in verse 13 of that text. Ephesians chapter 4, where he says that all of the five fold ministry offices will continue, will continue in their ministry to function in their role of building and instructing or teaching or edifying. So these offices are what I call both constructive ministries, because they're for building, and they're instructive ministries. And he says that they're going to continue to function, notice what it says, until the collective we, until we, meaning the full body of Christ, has come into full maturity and into full unity of doctrine. That is to say, the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That's what that means. That we will come into full unity in doctrine. The Living Bible translates this portion of this context by saying, until we all believe alike. When I have pointed that out to, to ministers on more than one occasion, they've looked at me and, as if they were stunned and said, well, you have more faith than I do. And we can certainly understand their sentiment in that regard as well, can't we? When we look to see the situation out there and there's so much diversity. So it is the combined task and function of all five-fold ministry working in tandem, tandem together to bring the entire body of Christ to that place of full maturity under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, it says.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit Realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God, all things are possible, and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose.